following talk is from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk. Thanks for listening. How many of you have seen the film? I am doubting that many of you actually have. How many of you have seen the film, 13 Conversations About One Thing? Anybody at all? This is going to go well. <laughs> 13 Conversations About One Thing is a brilliant film from 15 years ago, 2001. It's a Matthew McConaughey film. Generally, brilliant and his films don't go together, but this really is. And it's a, it's a film, it's one of those ones which is, you know, sometimes you have those films which tell li- different seemingly random stories that don't seem connected in any way, shape, or form, the characters, and then all of a sudden it comes together and they're, and they're connected somehow. This is one of those films. It tells the story of 13 different conversations about one thing. The one thing is happiness. There's a moment right early on in the, in the scene where this woman says to this bloke, they're actually having an affair, and, he, and she says to him, what is it that you want? And he says, what everyone wants, to experience life and Happiness. It's a kind of funny film in places. It's a poignant film in places. To be honest, it's quite a depressing film in places because it's a kind of like a philosophical exploration of life, of what we're all pursuing, of what we're all looking for, of what we're all chasing, which fundamentally is we all want to experience life and happiness. All of us grow up wanting to be happy. Every single one, whether we ever phrase it like this or not, every single one of our conversations in life is all framed around this drive, this desire to be happy instead of sad. We all want to be entertained instead of bored. We all want to be inspired instead of disillusioned. We all want to be informed rather than ignorant. No one grows up as a kid and says, what I want to be when I'm older is miserable, bored, disillusioned and ignorant. We all, none of us instinctively want that. We're all chasing something of life and happiness. And this film explores these questions. And the basic premise is that each character, each person, you, me, everyone in life has the thing that they think is going to give them contentment and fulfillment, happiness, life. That's what they're chasing, what they give themselves to. And it sets it all up and it lands each character achieving those things And then it turns out that it's not actually making them happy in any way, shape, or form. turns out that the thing that they thought would give them contentment and fulfillment in life actually really doesn't. In many ways, it's a bit of a depressing film, but it's a very real film. And it starts right at the beginning... Uh, I think it's the second scene. There's two characters. They meet in a bar. And one of them is a guy called Gene, who's an adjustment manager, manager for an insurance firm. And you can tell straight away how exciting his life is going to be in this film. And there's the other character. Sorry to those who work in insurance. I'm sure it's amazingly interesting in real life. Uh, and then there's this other character, Matthew McConaughey, who's, uh, who's called Troy. He's a district attorney. All right, And we immediately see this contrast, this setting up of different pursuits of happiness. They meet in a bar in happy hour, obviously, and Troy's successfully celebrating another prosecution. He's got another bad guy off the street, and he announces, (coughs) excuse me, he announces to no one in particular that he's really rather happy. And Gene responds to him saying, show me a happy man, and I'll show you a disaster waiting to happen. What, and he turned, Roy turns around and says, well, what makes you an authority on the subject? He says, I knew a happy man once. It was a curse. And they go on to kind of having this discussion, this argument. He says, well, I, 
how, prove that. What do you mean? He says, well, I knew this guy once. He tells this story of his co-worker, a guy called Mickey, who really just worked everything to get financial security, make enough money, and then he'll be happy. And this guy, Mickey, ends up winning the lottery. And he wins the lottery, and now he's like, he doesn't have to work anymore because financial security is guaranteed for him. He's made all the money he could ever possibly want. And Mickey's life unravels. He gives some money to his kids, but his kids aren't happy about how much he's given them. And his kid then has this whole kind of ridiculous plot where he stages a kidnap in order to try and get some more money out of his dad. And Mickey ends up basically being really very miserable. And it's quite clear from that, you chase money and you're not going to be happy about it. Troy, on the other hand, the happy district attorney guy, he wants everyone to be happy. And for him, what happiness is, is successfully prosecuting bad guys. Get them off the street. That makes me happy, he says in this opening scene. As he's leaving the bar later, as he's driving, he hits a woman and he drives off from the scene. He hits her with her car, believing that she's dead. And he appears to have gotten away with it. And as the story goes on, he gets more and more successful. There's more promotion in line. And yet just eating away at him is this sense of guilt the whole time. He can't feel happy. He no longer feels a sense of fulfillment and happiness in in putting away bad guys because he's realized fundamentally he is one himself. Gene, this miserable guy, the reason we find out he's miserable is he's been working hard his whole life. He's made it to a middle manager in the firm. He thinks he's in line for promotion to vice president. Everything's going right, great. And then it kind of the, the film pans back and it sees his actual life. He's become this embittered individual who's given his entire life to working real hard in this firm at the expense of his marriage, at the expense of his relationship with his kids, at the expense of everything else in his life. He's seemingly made it. And yet he's so very unhappy because his success has cost him all these other things of real value. There's another character in this film, one of the main characters, a guy called Walker, who is a uh, physics professor. And he's married, but he's really bored with his life. It's mundane, it's routine, he just goes through the same thing every single day. It's absolutely predictable, and he's so bored of it. He's so fed up of it, he's saying, this just can't be what real life really is. And so he has this moment where he's mugged on his way home from work, and suddenly he's like, I'm going to change my life. I'm fed up of all that boringness. I'm fed up of the mundane. I've done, I'm not happy with my wife. I'm not happy with my life in the way it is. And so he begin, change, decides he's going to radically change his lifestyle. He begins by buying a BMW. And then he decides he's going to, to have an affair, which he does with this uh, literature professor. And he ultimately separates from his wife. And there's this ridiculous moment in, in changing his life that he suddenly realizes that he's now just stuck in a new routine, albeit a new one. There's this moment where he's making the bed after uh, he's spent some time with his mistress, and he turns around to her and says, you have set me free. And she looks at him and says, free from what? He says, a life of predictability, of dullness, and of routine. And the music just kind of stops, and he goes, I'll see you again next Thursday. Same time. And he's changed his whole routine. Everything is mundane and boring. And he's replaced it with a new one. And it's just exactly the same again. And what was exciting is no longer exciting. And what was adventurous is no longer adventurous. And what was like, ooh, is was now, ooh. And he gets this moment. By the end of the affair, his mistress breaks it off. He's suffering from panic attacks. And he's seeking counsel. And his life is bleh. It's a really fun film. Actually, it's a really clever film. How it explores this stuff. What is it that really makes us happy? Because this film, yes, it's a film, it's a story, but it's really land where it's really real where it lands. And it lands with this reality. It's saying, listen, there is a desire in every single one of us. There is one in you, there is one in me. This desire for life, for contentment, for fulfillment, for happiness. It's a good desire. It's a very real one. 
And then it addresses this whole thing, what we think is going to achieve it for us so often fails to really deliver. C.S. Lewis, the guy who wrote all the Narnia books, said, what does not satisfy when we find it was not the thing we were desiring. We're so often looking for something and it doesn't ultimately satisfy and it comes to this real, hang on, that's probably not what I was actually desiring. And you might be sitting here and going, well, okay, that's neat. But it's just a film. It's not real. It's not real life. And you know you're right. But let's be grown-ups for a moment. We know that real life is exactly like this. We're all chasing life, every single one of us. And we live in a culture and a world where nothing... But nothing can stop us from doing that. We are constantly on, chasing all the time. Everything is geared up to help us chase life. Caffeine conquers tiredness. Tired? Just drink some more or take some pills, you'll be fine. Ibuprofen or whatever else conquers pain. You go in pain, just take these pills, keep going, you'll be absolutely fine. Even the natural order of the world no longer stops us from chasing life. There was once upon a time, many moons ago, where when night time came, you had to stop because you couldn't actually see anything anymore. More, and it kind of forced you to stop and rest. And now what we do, flick a switch and just carry on. Night becomes day. Nothing ever stops us. We're on 24-7, just going, chasing life, constantly chasing things, chasing things the whole time. There are only so many, many minutes in a day. There are only so many days in a week. There are only so many weeks in a year. There are only so many years in a lifetime. And really, there's only a relatively short period of time within which we have to cram everything in in order to have a successful life. truth is is there's nothing wrong in chasing life there's nothing wrong in desiring and searching out happiness there's nothing wrong in chasing it with everything that you've got it's very natural and it's natural because life matters life matters each one of us whether you're a christian here today or not whether you believe in god here or not there's something intrinsically in us that really does instinctively know that life matters it's why we celebrate new life Babies are born and we celebrate. Why? Because we know just instinctively this is something to celebrate. Life really matters. Like Our whole culture is based around this. The whole thing of doctors, the whole oath they take is to what? Preserve life. Why? Because we know instinctively that life really matters. It's why death bothers us so much. The Bible provides an answer for what we instinctively know about why life matters. It says we're made in the image of God. It says you and I were made and created for a purpose, with a purpose in mind. We were made and created in the image of God himself and that's why life matters. The Bible tells us that our value in life, our worth in life does not come from the amount of possessions that we have or the experiences that we have or the things that we do or the things that we don't do. We're not defined in those ways. We're defined by the fact that we're created, known, loved, made in the image of God. And that's why Things, issues to do with life and death, things which we might call the ethics of life, if you like, all those kind of things, they're not GCSE debating issues. I mean, for sure they are, and they're fun at GCSE level to debate those kind of stuff, but they're real issues, and the older you get, the more you realize how very, very real these things are. And the starting place for us is not some kind of moralizing do-gooders, you must behave like this, you must behave like that, although um, if you're not a Christian here today, you need to know that lots of Christians are like that, They shouldn't be, but they are. The reason why life matters is because we're made in the image of God. We're created in the image of the one who is over all things, who sustains all things, who created all things, and who knows you intimately. 
And so there's nothing wrong with pursuing life and chasing happiness. The issue is not that you're doing that. The issue is where are you looking? Because if you look for happiness through the collection of stuff, experiences, adventures, possessions, material things, well, it doesn't matter how many adventures you have, how many experiences you collect, how much stuff you gather, it will never be enough. You're always going to want more. You're always going to want more. You're always going to want bigger, faster, better. I know that in my own life right now. I've got a broadband issue in my street. I need to keep putting up the price, and I need to change my broadband. The problem I've got is that Right now, I get 100 whatever it is per whatever it is, when a year and a half ago, I only had 15 whatever it is by what, I literally don't know. It's the figures, 15, 2,500. They put it, over the last few years, they've put it up. A year ago, I was very satisfied with my 15 of whatever it is, speed-wise. Now it's 100. No other provider offers anywhere near 100. They only offer 15. And so I'm like, well, no way. There's no way. I'm going back from 100 to 15. I've experienced bigger. I've experienced better. I've experienced faster. And now I'm stuck which is exactly why they keep putting the prices up, because they know I'm stuck, because they know no one else can provide what they can provide. And that's how advertising works, full stop. Constantly selling you the whole thing of this will be better, this will be better, this will change your life, this will make it better, except it won't. And you know that, and they know that, because if they really did have the one product, they'd never have anything else to ever sell ever again. So it'll just make your life a bit better, and then the next version will come, and it'll be a bit better, and it'll be a bit better, and it'll be a bit better. That's how the whole thing works. And the reality is, the more you chase of stuff, you're never ultimately going to be satisfied. You chase money and financial security, you're never going to be satisfied. A guy called Tom Sachs, who was an artist, not a Christian, didn't believe in God for all I know, he's, he says, if you worship money, you will always feel poor. There's a survey I've done a few years ago that in, in, uh, surveyed people in every single kind of category of finances. And every single category of people interviewed all said the same thing. I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be greedy. I just need a little bit more. Just 20% more, every single category said. No matter if you're mega rich or mega poor on that scale, everyone just said, just 20% more and it'll be okay. How many of us think like that? I don't, I'm not asking for loads. Just 20% more and it'll be okay. Except you won't. You'll experience a bit more and you'll just want a bit more. You'll have a bit more and you'll just want a bit more. And it's the same thing. You worship money, you're always going to feel poor. You pursue relationships and love and intimacy. You want to find life that way, chase happiness that way. Well, it might excite for a while, but very soon it just becomes routine or normal or predictable or no longer exciting. You begin to need to look somewhere else or for something else. Or maybe that person won't quite be the thing that you thought they were. All those things that were endearing and sweet now become annoying. Because that's life. That's what happens. And the truth is, and we all know this from experience, even if we do achieve all of those things, even if we do arrive at all of those things, we will constantly spend the rest of our life constantly fighting, hold, fighting to hold on to those things. Fighting against things that will rob us of contentment and joy. Things that for, there foreverly seems to be obstacles to real joy. There are always things that we need to battle to keep hold of. So many of us, whether we're Christians or not, live with feeling like we never have enough. We live feeling like we just don't quite have it. Just had a little bit of this or a little bit of that would be okay. We live with a, a lack of contentment. We live with a lack of joy. We've got all these things, but we're actually not happy or helpful about it. Or we live with anxiety. So many of us crippled with anxiety. We live with fear. We, we live with worry. Have we got enough? Are we in danger of losing it? Where's it coming from? How's this going to work? How's that going to work? How, what, the whole time, just constantly anxious. Well, we're so consumed by fear of what will happen tomorrow that we're paralyzed to live today. 
Or we worry that we got so much, how will we keep it all? We'll be devastated if we lose this. And so as a result, we're always hedging our bets. We're always kind of getting to the place of just about to enjoy life and then we pull back from it because we're just a little bit fearful. If we really go for it and then it's taken away from us, well, we will be devastated. Well, we live, so many of us live with disappointment about the way things worked out. Started out thinking it would be like this and dreaming of this and where we'd get to and then it just didn't happen as we hoped or we planned or dreamed. We live with disappointment. Or we live, some of us live with regret. Regret over decisions that we've made in the past that have led us to where we are now. If only I'd done that. If only I'd chosen that way instead of that way. If only I'd made that decision. Or we live with a sense of guilt about what we've done. To people, perhaps, to get us where we are. Or this guilt over the decisions we've made that have led us to where we are, which so badly undermines our ability to enjoy life, to have happiness, because there's this gnawing guilt inside us the whole time. Some of us are just fighting an issue, holding it all together, particularly if family's your thing. Family's the thing that really, God, family, everybody's got to be happy no matter where they are. Spend their entire life trying to hold it all together that there's no joy themselves because they're constantly worrying about this person, that person, running here, there, and everywhere. You okay? Is that okay? You, you need to get to get, you need. We live like that. Some of us are so hurried and busy that we can't even celebrate and enjoy the things that we've actually got. Working ridiculous numbers of hours, and I don't just necessarily mean like job working, doing all these other stuff. And there is the truth. The reality is that even after all of these things, underlying all of these things is the biggest problem that we all face. The reality that this life is short. The truth that the truth is, is that a life spent chasing experiences and things and possessions and stuff money, whatever it is, is really a life dominated by the shadow of death. Get everything in quick, because that's coming. Make your life count, because it will soon be over. Carp the end, seize the day. It's all an inspiring thing from Dead Poets Society, except for the reality is the whole quote, seize the day, carp the end, seize the day, because we'll soon be food for the worms, is what Mr. Keating said. It's a reality, it's an impending, we don't like to think about it, so we cram as much into life because we're fearful of what happens next in death. Here's the thing. You and I were not created to live this way. You were not created to live fearful of what might come. You were not created to live chasing an elusive dream the whole time. You were not created to live in such a way that you were caused to be anxious and fearful and and worried and concerned and hurried and busy and pressured and stressed in life. You were created in the image of God in such a way that you might know the fullness of life, all of life. Jesus in John chapter 10 verse 10 says, I came that may have life and have it abundantly. You were created in the image of God to know the fullness of God, to know the fullness of the life that God offers, to know it both here and in the world to come. And just in case you begin to think, oh, that sounds like Jesus is saying, I can have loads of stuff in my life. Matthew 16, 26, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What good is it to have absolutely everything this world has to offer if you miss out on the most important thing? Acquiring all the money, all the pleasure, all the power this world brings has no lasting benefit if you forfeit your soul to spiritual death and separation from God. You see, true happiness, true meaning, true fulfillment, true contentment is found only in 
God. And the Bible makes all sorts of huge claims on this. It says when we become a Christian, we are now found in Christ. It's like we're in him and he is in us. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, it says the fullness of God, that's the fullness of everything good and perfect is in Christ. And believers are filled in him. And so what it's saying is that everything that we need is in Christ. And it's only in Christ that we will find everything that we're looking for. Now, of course, if God's not real, if all this is nonsense, then cram your life with as many experiences as possible because this might really be it. Go for it. Just try and do as much stuff. All the goods we consume really are just a welcome distraction from the nothingness that awaits us when we die. This could be as good as it gets. The problem with that is there's no answer to fear. There's no answer to anxiety. There's no answer to worry. There's no answer to the lack of joy and contentment that we have. We just have to live with it. Just going to have to kind of cover over it in some way. Happiness then is, in, without God, is just some, ultimately some unobtainable thing. Just cover over. But if God's real, then life, real life, full life, it's not only possible, it's also obtainable. When Jesus says in John 10, I've come to they may have life and have it to the full, he's speaking of life and above all as knowing God. We know that because in John 17, he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. A full life is not a level of lifestyle or things or possessions or whatever. It's a relationship with God himself, the very thing that we were celebrating in these baptisms a few moments ago. And in fact, in Jesus in Luke 12 explicitly says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And that word abundance is exactly the same phrase here in John 10. It means to the full. It means overflowing. So why is it a life to the full? Because it means it's a life to the full because it's a life that even death cannot stop. It's an abundance. It's an overflowing. It's an eternal life. Jesus promises the reality when you put your trust in him, you shall not die. You'll physically die, but you'll be raised again and you shall have eternal life to experience it with the fullness of who God is. But there is also a promise in Christ, in God, of yes, life to come, but also also life right here, right now. And it all starts with knowing God. It all starts with knowing something of the fullness of who God is. You see, we were created in the image of God to know him, to experience the fullness of life that he offers for us. And sin separates us from that. We're cut off. All the stuff that we do that's less than perfect cuts us off from God. And so Jesus came and died in our place so that we could be born again. Literally start over once again, fresh in this relationship with God to experience this full life right here, right now. So my question is this morning, do you know God? Most Christians are not their head and, you know, and we still experience anxiety and fear and worry and pain and all of that kind of stuff. Why is that? And I think it stems from the question, do you know God? Do you really know God? Not the God who's some kind of butler, divine butler and therapist who's there to answer our every whim and, oh God, will you just bless me with this? Oh, yep, sure, here you go, I'm here for you. Or this God, oh God, I'm feeling a bit miserable. Let me just comfort you a little bit. I mean the real God who is not a divine butler or a therapist. He's not the God who fits nicely on the shelf who we just pull down like some genie, rub the lamp when we want something and say, God, will you provide my every need for me? No, 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 this is the God, the true and living God revealed to us in the scriptures. He's not a butlist butler, he's not a therapist, he's not some kind of 
dream. He's the gracious and holy king whose reign erupted into human history in the person of Jesus Christ. This God does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all the depths. Whatever he plans, he brings to pass. Whatever he declares, he does. Through his word, he created all things. By his word, he holds all things together. This God that we meet in the Bible is not a passive producer. He's not encouraging you to perform better. He is, he is some measureless mystery whose plans never fail and his beauty enthralls the hearts of those who love him. He swirls solar systems into existence out of empty space. He lets, sets princes on thrones and flings kings down into the dust. He has unleashed his kingdom through a virgin's womb and he's crushed the power of the devil through his cross and the empty tomb. And yet, paradoxically, this God of power and glory is also a God of grace and intimacy. He is Emmanuel, God with us. When your soul is awoken to the reality of who God is, this serpent-crushing sovereign who is over all things, you get very uncomfortable with saying, God, that's not fair. You get very uncomfortable with saying, well, why is that working out like that? That shouldn't happen like that. What are you doing, God? You get very uncomfortable with treating him like a butler and a therapist just there to, hey, God, I need this for you. No, no, no. When you recognize who this God is, you come before him, you submit your life to him. You say, God, you and you alone shall be first place in my life. And I'm going to seek after your kingdom. I'm going to seek after your righteousness. I'm going to submit my life to your kingly rule and your kingly reign. And in doing that, he comes and he brings us life, eternal life and life right here, right now. When we get who he is, we begin to recognize just how powerful he is. We get to the place, Philippians 4.19, it says, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We suddenly realize that the answer that our heart has been looking for, the thing that we're really longing for, he really does satisfy. So to those who are carrying and struggling today with worrying anxiety and fear when we look to this God who is sovereign and in control of all things we recognize that we do not have to be anxious we do not have to be concerned we do not have to fear because he is on the throne and he rules and he reigns it says in Matthew 6 I tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Key to it comes here. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God is not some kind of little small thing that can be added to a little sticker that we put on our fridge. God will do everything for me. He'll supply all of my needs. It's absolutely true, but it comes from a submission to his kingly reign, his kingly rule. It comes from recognizing that he is sovereign and powerful. It comes from recognizing that he rules and he reigns. It comes from understanding that he is God and I really am not. And who is he that he is mindful of me? Whoa! That's where real life comes from. And for those of you who are struggling with guilt, 
struggling with this sense of I did this, a shame and whatever. You need to once again lift your eyes and see this God who rules and reigns, who holds everything in his hands. He declares over you, if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So who are you to put that on yourself? He declares you free, live in it. If this God is just a divine butler and a nice little therapist who just pats us on the back and says nice things to us, then when he says you're free, you go, well, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. But when you see the God for who he really is, who rules and reigns with authority, when that one says you're free, you really are. You don't go against him. Oh, but I just feel good. No, the one who has all things says there is no condemnation. You're not guilty. You're free. Live it. Believe it. That's where true life comes from. For those of us who think my life just doesn't count for much, Look what I've achieved. I just, no one's ever going to remember me. Frankly, who cares if anybody in this world is ever going to remember you? Your life in this land does not count for much, but what really counts is this God says your name is written in his Lamb's book of life. And for all of eternity, you will be remembered. You will be counted as righteous. You will be counted as something worthwhile. You're not living for the things of this world. You're living for that. That's where true life comes from. That's where true contentment comes from that's where true joy comes from and recognize this i'm going to end with this being a christian submitting your life to this kingly rule does not mean that everything will always work out exactly as you want it to does not mean all your problems are going to go away does not mean you're not going to face trial and hardship what it means is in all of those things you get god himself and he walks with you and choosing life Choosing real life in Christ lands at a place that sometimes feels like death to us. Because sometimes where our desire is, I want to do that and I want to go that way. And God says, no, you're going that way. Sometimes what we feel like we're chasing, pursuing, makes us want to go that way. That feels like life. This decision to not do this or start doing that or stop doing that or whatever it might be, that feels like death. And Jesus says, the man who finds his own life loses it. The one who lays it down finds it. Sometimes obedience to him, finding true life, will feel in a natural, earthy way like death. And it's in those moments where you know you're counting the cost, that's when you're truly submitting to the one who rules and reigns and living your life. Do you know God this morning? Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know the real life that he brings, this joy, this freedom, this contentment right now? If you're living with anxiety, fear, and concern, that's not God's will for your life right now. He wants you to know he rules and he reigns and he holds you in his hand. He's in control. He's working everything together for the good of those who love him. You might not understand why, but he is working it for your good. If you're carrying guilt and fear today, it may well be because you've not submitted your life to Christ. And if you have, know this, you are free. He loves you. He wants you to experience the fullness of life in eternity to come, but also life right here, right now. And if you've never submitted your life to Christ, you're in that place of I'm chasing this, I'm chasing that, I'm chasing the other. There's an honest moment that we all come to. Is this the thing that I'm chasing? Is is this the thing that's going to satisfy? And if it's not Christ, it might for a moment, it might for a week, it might for a month, it might for a year, it might for a decade, it might seemingly even for an entire lifetime, but there's a day coming when you will die and it's going to be found wanting. Thanks for listening to this talk from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk.